Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. everybody and welcome to the show made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Today, as our Best of Summer series continues, we're joined by two-time NBL Championship winner, Andrew Parkinson. The three-point specialist played 265 NBL games and won two championships with the Magic in the 1990s, but right now... He's facing the fight of his life. The man known as Parky remains in the thick of his greatest challenge, the fight against a highly malignant and fast-growing bladder cancer. Andrew, it's a pleasure to have you on, and thanks a lot for joining us. Pleasure to be here, Sam. Now, what's that hanging behind you there? This isn't great radio, but there's a big uh, poster (laughs) over your left shoulder. Now, is that you in all your glory back there? Yeah, that's me shooting a jump shot against the Giants. I used to play a lot against them because uh, Brett Brown had them in that zone, and um, and D-Mac would be at the head of it. And uh, He's trailing in your wake there, D-Mac. Yeah, yeah, I've just blown by him, actually. (laughs) No, actually, the truth truth (laughs) is, Sam, that um, Brian Gorgian, the, the, the GOAT, the, the great coach, he uh, he used to tell me, what Parky, what are you doing dribbling anywhere near D-Mac? He's <laughs> like, don't, he said, if D-Mac's, he said, I'd rather you just shoot it. He goes, I don't care where you where you are, shoot it. So I, I do have a saying that a missed shot's better than a turnover, and I do reference that story <laughs> with, with, with Brian. So, yeah, that's that's a little, uh, so, yeah, I tell people I've, I'm blown by D-Mac, but the truth is I just caught it and I just crapped my pants and just sort of pull up and shoot it because that's what the coach would rather me do than, uh, than dribble. Can I ask with probably a question that a lot of people, you're probably sick to death of this question I ask you when they see you now, is it, uh, how are you going? How are you feeling? Uh, how are you going health-wise at the moment? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, six months of um, immunotherapy treatment. I've, I've had a battle with uh, uh, with cancer for nearly three years now. So, yeah, at the age of 52, I, I uh, yeah, got the, got the bad news. And, uh, yeah, so I've done all sorts of treatment. I've done the chemo, the radiation, um, I've done this BCG treatment. I've had surgeries. I've had uh, organs removed from from my body. And now I'm in six months of immuno. So it has been a bit of a battle. But the support I've had from not only the basketball community, but the general sporting community um, as well. And just, you know, all my mates, all my old mates, my, my old coach, Brian, uh, you know, all my all my buddies that I played with in the 90s. So I've got a lot of support around me with friends and family. So it's um, in, in some ways, it's, it's, it's been a, a great experience. I know it sounds silly. Um, but it's been a great experience because a lot of people have sort of reached out to me and, and, and a lot of people tell you things, you know, about, uh, you know, about yourself and, and how they feel about you um, when you do get diagnosed with a terminal illness. And, um, you know, that that's a positive because normally you might not find out those things. So, you know, I've had a great time. I'm, I mean, I, you know, I tell my mates I love them. My mates tell me that they love me and I, we weren't really... Uh, there, there were conversations or words that generally speak, um, you know, when everything's flying along and your health's great. But when something like this happens, it's sort of, yeah, you find out who, who the people that means mean a lot to you and you find out um, the people that you mean a lot to. So, uh, yeah, so it's been a bit of a journey, but it's, um, it's, it's look, it's been a battle. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, there's been some some crazy times uh, during that uh, during that three-year battle. But, uh, yeah, when the oncologist told me about a year ago that he didn't think he'd be looking at me, um, this was last year uh, with the rare cancer I had, I, I, I 
sort of have to count my blessings. I, I feel like I'm on bonus time. And um, yeah, you just, uh, yeah, you just got to deal with it. And uh, like I said, I've had great support, so I, I can't complain too much. So to use basketball parlance, it sounds like we're into overtime in many ways. And, and you were diagnosed in 2019, have I got that right? So if you can lay it out for us, what specifically are you fighting? What sort of cancer are we talking about, if you don't mind? Well, initially it was called small cell carcinoma cancer of the bladder. And there was a big tumor in there that was embedded in the wall of, uh, of my, um, my bladder. And uh, so I had to do quite aggressive, you know, chemo and, uh, and stuff like that. But it, it wasn't a good, uh, it's a very rare cancer. It's, it's something like one to nine in a million. And it's, and it's not a very good one. It's not your garden for, I mean, there's no good, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's no good cancer. But if you're going to get cancer, you don't want to get the one, you know, I've got. But, uh, but, you know, I've changed a lot in my life with uh, supplements and with, um, you know, different medications and things I'm doing. So, you know, in some ways um you know i'm back to my i'm trying to keep healthy and fit i mean that's one thing they say that that helps you know in my situation um so i've you know i'm at my playing weight and i'm feeling you know i'm feeling uh, as as healthy as i can be so if you am i right in saying you've actually seen it off once or twice and it's returned can you take us through the journey yes yeah that's yeah. exactly right sam no it has it's um yeah there's been great results there's been times when they've said great you can chill we've yeah. done well you know the chemo worked or the radiation worked but it, yeah, it just keeps coming back and uh, they even they removed my bladder and prostate uh, a year ago because uh, it kept coming back and uh, uh, I thought that was going to be the um, not the end of it but uh, the end of it for a while but then a few months later it had uh, come back into a lymph node sort of near the pelvis near the bladder area so yeah it's just a, not a good cancer to have and it, it um, yeah we have we have sort of uh, had some times where it's um, uh, yeah I've sort of seen it off um, yeah but like I said I'm back sort of doing treatment now and I'm six months into this treatment uh, yeah so it's uh, it's dragging on a bit but um, but yeah you've um, yeah you've got to do what you've got to do I saw a letter that you wrote to cancer I think it was June last year and you and you wrote in part you have taken away many things from me including some organs money time playing basketball and time with my family and my friends but you will never take away my spirit or my dignity you may see me struggle but you will never see me quit and it, and it does Parky never ceases to amaze me the people who fight the fights that you're fighting at the moment and the courage that you find in these moments yeah and and you have no choice and I truly try and live by that you know every day doesn't mean you know like i said it's it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to struggle it's okay to have down days but but yeah as long as you don't quit and i think um you know i've had inspiration from many people um many people far worse far worse off than me far bigger tragedies than me i mean i've had a i've had a blessed life sam um, right up until the age of 52, there was no tragedy. There was nothing in my life uh, that I could complain about. I, I, I truly had a blessed life. So uh, now that I'm dealing with this beast, um, there's so many people, every family has been touched by this in some way, yeah. or, or cancer I'm talking about, uh, has, has been touched in some way. So that, that was a bit of a cathartic sort of thing for me just to write. Um, I know you probably can't repeat uh, the last three words of that letter on air. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's. I think... That's that's sort of my my attitude is um, yeah is it yeah you might see me struggle but you, you'll never see me quit and I think you know the people like I mentioned the support that I get um, and I and I think that you know it's important for people that support me to hear that as well you know my children my wife my mother and father you know my brother and sister you know all my mates I think it's good for them to hear that as well because they know I struggle but uh, they know I'm never going to quit and and the power of the mind sort of stuff I, I saw you also wrote you know that you'll never feel sorry for yourself and you actually said in some strange way that you you feel like you were meant 
to battle cancer and that you wrote that it's my turn and that you're ready. Um, I will get rid of you. What What did you mean by that? It's a sense of destiny in that sentence. Yeah, no, well, I just, I, I, I just feel, um, I, I felt like during my basketball career and during my life in general, I, I feel like I'm, I'm fairly mentally strong. So I, I guess, um, you know, when you get something like this, uh, my immediate thought was, well, geez, I'm glad it's not the kids. I'm glad it's not my wife. I'm glad it's not my sister. You know, I'm glad it's not. So you think of all yeah. these people that could have got it in the family. Um, and I think, well, you know, if it's me, okay, this is my thing now. I, I have to deal with this. And as I said, I've had a blessed life. I haven't had to deal with any tragedy or, or, or too much adversity. So uh, this was, this is my adversity. This is my turn to step up. Uh, and as I said, there's, there's so many people a lot younger than me that, uh, you know, have been ravaged by this disease and, and families and, and all sorts of things. So, you know, I, I feel like, um, yeah, I just, I just feel like, you know, it, maybe it picked on me, maybe a higher being above uh, gave it to me knowing that uh, that I can handle it so that that's that's the sort of mindset that I'm, I'm going with yeah I mean I can't imagine how steep you know the learning curve on all this stuff would be how confronting some of your darkest moments would be and you mentioned others I imagine seeing others go through it is the hardest in some ways like I mean you're you're obviously going in for treatment parking you're seeing people you know 40 years younger than you sitting there holding their mum and dad's hand I, I just cannot even imagine how hard that must be mate yeah now the oncology ward's not a great place to go look don't get me wrong the nurses and they're just like angels yeah, yeah. um but yeah no there was one yeah, there was one day I'll, I'll tell you this this story i'll, I'll, I'll probably get emotional because i always do when i tell this story but uh yeah there was a, a day i was going doing chemo you know i'd lost my hair i'd lost my eyebrows uh i didn't mind losing my hair sam i was quite a <laughs> good looking bald man if i say that myself nice but uh, but losing the eyebrows you look a bit freaky mate so bald i was happy with but losing the eyebrows as well but anyway i was walking into the oncology ward um and i was feeling I was having one of those days where I was feeling sorry for myself and I walked in there and I got eye contact with these two parents and they had uh, this young girl sitting in the chair getting the poison. I call it poison, chemo, same thing. Yeah. And um, yeah, and, and I, I locked eyes with the father and just the look, uh, the look on his face, the, the despair, um, you know, he, he, you could tell just, just, just looking at him, you could tell that, you know, he would have swapped, he would have swapped with his daughter, um, you know, at the drop of a hat. So, so that gave me a bit of uh, encouragement and that's why I sort of feel like, um, yeah, I feel like okay, I've got this. It's not my kid in the chair, you know. It's not. Mm. It's it's not someone I love or cherish that's in that chair. And um and yeah, that was just a moment that sort of uh, it, it helped me. It it gave, it gave me strength because I felt like my situation's not that bad. You know, this this poor girl, she had because uh, uh, I can give you these cooling hats that can sometimes stave off losing your hair. And of course, you know, a guy at fifty two, as ugly and as old as I am, I, I'm not going to care about losing my hair. You know, being bald. I, I did worry about the eyebrows as you can imagine as you can tell good for Halloween but, uh, but yeah but this poor girl you know it was 15 16 year old I had a daughter the exact same age and uh, and she had this cooling hat on she wanted to save her hair because you know I know how important you know a teenage girl's hair is <laughs> they uh, the way my daughters are with getting their hair right so yeah and I just looked at her I, I just thought um, yeah things can be a hell of a lot worse and and just looking in that in the in, in her father's eyes you know the, the despair yeah I'll I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll never forget it you listen Listening to This Is Your Journey, it's thanks to Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. Right, let's go back a little bit, shall we? From the suburban concrete courts to the bright lights of the NBL, let's go over Andrew Parkinson's path to the big league. That's up next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. 
You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey. It's made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. And today we're chatting to dual NBL title winner, Andrew Parkinson. So Andrew, at what stage did you start playing basketball? And, and who introduced, was it your parents who introduced you to the sport initially? Yes, both my parents were keen basketballers. Uh, that's how they met. Uh, both were represented the state um, numerous times. And my father was actually uh, a reserve in the 1964 uh, Tokyo Olympic team. So, um, so yeah, I was introduced to basketball early and as we all do, we, we want to be like our dad. So I just wanted to be like my dad and I used to watch him play. And, uh, so at the age of seven, the, uh, you know, they took me down to the Dandenong courts, which, uh, were concrete at the old market stadium there. And, um, at the age of seven. Uh, 1974, I uh, played my first game of basketball. Concrete court can't be good for the the old flagrant foul, can it? No, not 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 good at all, mate. But uh, yeah, it wasn't too long till they uh, yeah got the uh, got the hardwood out there. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, that shows you how old I am. I was. I was actually playing on uh, concrete courts. And w- I wouldn't, I wouldn't have that nowadays. No, no, absolutely not. And, and was basketball considered, you know, almost uncool back then? I mean, this is the this is the seventies, the pre Michael Jordan era, if you like, that really sparked the rise of the sport in this country for people of my generation. I mean, what was it like playing basketball at that time? Did people think it was relatively? unusual amongst all the cricket and the footy and everything else, the tennis that was going on? They sure did, Sam. Yeah, no, it wasn't cool at all. I, I was the guy that, uh, yeah, I played the cricket and footy with my mates and tennis and, you know, we invented games in the street and all sorts of stuff. But um, but no, basketball, I just I just loved it so much. But I, I, I just constantly just dribble around to the local schools and just shoot by myself. You know, a lot of the, my mates weren't interested in it. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people in the 70s, when, when you mentioned basketball, they'd say, oh, netball, you mean netball. Like they actually thought it was netball. And wow. it's just so great to see now you can't drive through any suburb in Melbourne or Australia and not see a basketball hoop up. Um, and it's it's a cool sport now. <laughs> you know, it's uh, everyone just loves it. So I've I've seen the full uh, the full journey, and I mean, at the age of twelve, I used to go and watch the St Kilda Saints play in the NBL, which I got to play for twelve years later. But yeah, so I remember the NBL from day one, and I, I was an avid NBL fan, and I yeah, I just love the game, and, and, and a lot of people. Um, have analysed my upbringing with basketball and, and my environment I was in. And everyone says, oh, how come you're such a good shooter and you play no defence? And I said, well, that's because I used to just shoot by myself the whole time. I never, <laughs> I never had any mates to play one-on-one. So I never played any defence. Well, we're products of our environment, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. No, well, that, that, that's exactly true. And, and, and I used to just invent ways to put it in the basket. And I used to shoot from distance. I used to shoot from behind the backboard. I used to shoot free throws. I used to be in the rain, pouring rain and wind. And until I shot five free throws in a row, I wouldn't leave. And it'd be dark. And so I'd play the, all these games with myself. But it was all shooting game. There was no, I wasn't playing deep. I wasn't getting in a stance. I wasn't learning how to guard people. And, and I was just shooting. So I, uh, we definitely products of our environment. Wasn't the nickname <laughs> Andrew Parkinson for a while, given you had no D? That was the story. Yes, well, we used to call the, the, the real, the big Andrew, okay, uh, the Gazy. We used to call him Andrew because he didn't play any defense. But uh, no, that, that I seem to pick that up a bit as well. A few of my uh, Magic teammates used to, uh, yeah, used to give me that name. So that was uh, always a bit of fun. What did it look like as you stepped up through the grade? So from, you know, from, from getting out to, to Market Stadium and you progressed and you improved and you caught the eye of people, what did it look like for you going forward into your teenage years? Yeah, it was good. I actually played for the Melbourne Tigers um, in representative 
basketball, underage basketball, under 14. So I was coached by the great Ken Watson. Uh, so that was a little secret I sort of kept through my professional career because the Tigers were our nemesis and our big rival in the 90s. But I actually did play some junior basketball. But uh, by the time I got to under 16s and under 18s, I played out at uh, the Knox Raiders. And um, I was having quite a successful uh, SE, well, it was SEABL career back then, but it was NBL1 for the yeah, for the current listeners, you know, the next step down from the NBL. But I wasn't cracking the NBL, but I was putting up good numbers in the SEABL and just wasn't getting a look in. And I, I had a bit of a, a reputation as a, as a party boy as well. Just, justifi- that... Justified, was it? Yes. Oh, okay. yes. No, well, if, if we talk about when I went to college, I, yeah. I could tell you the reasons why I chose that particular college. And that'll that'll tell you where my... <laughs> we'll get to that. Where my, where, where my focuses were. But in saying that, I, I did want to play NBL. I'd been following it uh, since I was, you know, 12 years old and uh, I wanted to crack it. So I thought I'd go overseas. So I got a basketball scholarship uh, in 1988 to Slippery Rock University. And and that was, um, yeah, that was a great experience for me to go over, you know, and play one year of college basketball. It was, it was the same time Andrew Gaze uh, was playing at Seton Hall. But uh, I think his, uh, yeah, I think his uh, trip over there got a bit more publicity than me playing uh, <laughs> at Slippery Rock. It, it was a Division Two school, Sam. and uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, yep. I looked it up. I yep. looked it up, actually. So, but from what I read, quite a professional setup. But let's not let the truth get in the way because while Gazy went to Seton Hall, the Pirates, and you know went to the NCAA championship game, you park, you went to the big party school that was Slippery Rock, and I, and I, I imagine that you acknowledge now that was a decent lure at the time. It was great. Look, they told me that the ratio of guys to girls was four to one. They told me it was a jock school, like as far as yep. you know, yep. didn't have to worry too much about study. Uh, and also <laughs> in 1988, you can check it if you like. It was ranked number four in Playboy as the biggest party school in the nation, (laughs) including all the Division I schools like Arizona State and Santa Barbara, Santa Clara, all those beach-style sort of universities in California. Uh, But Slippery Rock was up there at number four. So uh, when I had a few choices, you know, to go to – there was Vancouver University in Canada. There was a couple of NAIA schools. It was – and Slippery Rock, when I found out that it was ranked number four in Playboy as as a party school, I thought – that's got me you know, written all over it. So uh, that's, as a 19, 20-year-old, you can tell where my focus was. Well, how was it, though? I mean, do you look back on those moments as just uh, just some of the times of your life? Oh, it was. And you speak to any American, and they say that the four years they had in college was the greatest time of their life. And, and I got to experience one year of it. And, yeah, no, it was. It, it, it was a great time. Um, and also being Australian and, and being on the basketball team as well uh, was great because, um, you know, even in 1988, uh, basketball wasn't quite, you know, as popular. It was getting a bit more cooler. But, of course, in the States, if you're on the basketball team and you're on a scholarship, you know, for the basketball team, then, yeah, you're, you're pretty big time as far as uh, um, around, the you know, around uh, on campus and stuff. And uh, it, it was a great experience for my basketball as well because the competitive nature of college basketball and, and the way the coaches just drill you uh, into the ground, uh, it, yeah. it, it was a great experience. It, it actually prepared me for being coached by Brian Gorge. And I, I don't think I would have walked into Brian Gorge's practices, you know, in 1992. Uh, I don't think I would have coped without that experience I had in college because he, he was very uh, similar sort of coach, uh, the way he coached professionally. I mean, the world was a lot bigger back then. I mean, it's pre, you know, internet, it's pre-everything. So, I mean, you would have been a fascination. You would have been a curiosity as an Australian, this guy from a a, a a land that not many people would have known about in America in the late 80s. Yeah, well, it was right when Crocodile Dundee was popular. Oh, perfect. So Yeah, so I was called Crocodile Parky. 
that's yeah. what they used to. So, and I played up to it a bit. I had my Cobra hat that I sometimes wear a bit around the place. So I had a bit of fun with that. But uh, yeah, no, they didn't know anything about Australia. Some people asked, how did I get here? Yeah, you know, yeah. did I get here by train, you know, by bus? <laughs> you know, they asked me if I used to ride kangaroos to school and things like that. So there wasn't a lot of knowledge uh, about Australia, but it was, it was good. It, you know, it was out of my comfort zone. Uh, it was a very competitive environment. Yeah, I think it prepared me for the NBL years. You with This Is Your Journey? It's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can find them online at tobinbrothers.com.au. So Andrew Parkinson returns from the States and he gets his NBL break. That's up next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with former NBL sharpshooter Andrew Parkinson. So, Andrew, I think you're 21 at this stage, and that stint over in the U.S. got you in the college system there was to finally get your foot in the door to the NBL, you know, the itch that you hadn't been able to scratch. So Barry Barnes got you to the Geelong Supercats for the start of the 89 season, a two-year deal. How did it come about? How did you find your way down the highway in Geelong? Well, as I said, I had a bit of a reputation as a party sort of guy, a bit of a good time fella. And uh, Barnsey came up with the idea that he figured if I'd lasted a year in college, I must have smartened up. So he thought, uh, yeah, I think he's ready to uh, come back from college and uh, I'll give him a two-year deal at, Geelong, mm. a two-year deal at the Geelong Supercats. It, as he was taking over the team that uh, previously in 1988 had gone 0-24, I believe. <laughs> so he just recruited Shane Heal. He'd got Darren Rowe. Um, uh, yeah, a few other uh, Aussie, Jim Bateman, mm. who was sort of at the end of his career. Uh, John Dorge was part of that uh, Geelong team as well in 89 and 90. Uh, so, yeah, so I was part of that, uh, the Supercats in 89 and 90. So, given it so long ago, I hope you don't mind me asking this question. A lot of water's gone under the bridge. Well, what was it worth? What the package for you to join the club? What did they What did they dangle in front of you? Yeah, I think uh, I think I was on seven and a half thousand. Right. <laughs> First year, NBL. I, I, think the, uh, I think there's the minimum's a bit higher than that now. Uh, they gave me a car, an old Camira. A Camira. Uh, Camira. I think that was probably worth three or four thousand. Mm. So um, yeah, I thought I was pretty good coming from college, getting a sort of a, a five-figure package as far as a, a, a beat-up Camira and seven and a half thousand uh, dollars. They did give me a job as well that first year. I worked. I was a trained accountant, so uh, I worked at Day Nielsen, Jenkins and Johns, which was a chartered accounting firm in Geelong for that first year. So yeah, I definitely um, I jumped at the chance to you know move down to Geelong and, and play NBL, which I'd been dreaming of doing sort of you know as long as I could remember yeah uh, so yeah so that was uh, that was my first first year I think the next year might have yeah might have gone up to 10,000 plus the car right. so geez I, I really had a yeah it was a uh, big money Love the Camira though. That's that's priceless. Hey, uh, <laughs> the so red, that, red Camira. Yeah, the red Camira. Red too, Wouldn't miss it. So that first year, your Supercats were 13th. I think in your second season, they were 10th. And I, I think you're averaging around 10 minutes a game. But there was a breakout game there, wasn't there? In fact, I think you broke the then Supercats record one night. It was five threes in the first quarter. Maybe 21 points you dropped in the first period alone. And I'm not sure if this is coincidence or not, but Barry wasn't coaching that night, was he? No, he wasn't. He was away with the national team. And Tex Keeley, Terry Keeley, um, I was training quite well. She 
uh, yeah, I was training quite well. So he darted me because Vince Hinchin was injured or, or something like that. So yeah. yeah, he started me and um, yeah, I had that big quarter and I, I was wrapped because my mum and dad used to come down the highway and what, and uh, game after game after game, they'd just be sitting there. I'd be sitting there on the bench, just looking at them thinking, why, why are they traveling all this way to see me sit on a bench? So uh, fair to say there was a few fist pumps uh, directed in the direction of my uh, loving parents uh, yeah, during that 21 point uh, onslaught in the first quarter. So that was, um, yeah, that was, uh, that was probably my high, uh, my highlight uh, playing for the Supercats. So I guess ultimately after the two years, you'd fall out of favour with Barry though, wouldn't you? I mean, I, you didn't have your contract renewed after the 1990 season. I don't know if that's a fancy or politically uh, correct way for saying you got sacked. Oh no, I got sacked, mate. Yeah, no, I was cut. I was, um, yeah, no, he, uh, yeah, no, he got, uh, he got rid of me. He came back for the world champs that year and um, uh, there was a bit of pressure on him to have to start me because I had that sensational game. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and I think he, he started me one game and I played the first five minutes and then he subbed me out and then I just, just back to the bench, didn't play anymore. So that was, uh, and then he sacked me at the end of that, um, end of that year. So yeah, I, I didn't, didn't, didn't have a team. Geez, it ended well though. If I can, not the end, but it turned out well because you found your way to the South uh, Melbourne Saints for what would turn out to be just the one season in 91. Now this was a magical season for you on a personal level. The, the team was struggling somewhat, but you were named the NBL's most improved player. You're averaging, I think, 21 points a game, four rebounds, two assists per game. Were, were you fueled by some sort of a desire to prove people wrong? Was there a chip on the shoulder at all, Parky, or was it just the planets aligned for you in that season? No, I had a chip on my shoulder. I um, I had a chip on my shoulder my whole career, just, just getting there because I wasn't uh, one of these guys in juniors that was recognised. I wasn't identified as a talent, so I was never in any... I wasn't any, even in any squads, let alone teams, yeah. uh, to represent my state and I wasn't asked to go to the Institute of Sport so I had a lot of these people that were playing you know I, I really had a chip on my shoulder playing against these guys because mm. I, I was a bit of a late developer as well so I sort of grew and then when I got a bit bigger and stronger and uh, yeah I used to play very aggressively and uh, yeah I definitely played with a chip on my shoulder and then when I did have that dent at Geelong and I, I felt like I could be an NBL I really believed I was an NBL player even though Barry Barnes didn't believe that uh, I still did so when I got that chance with the Saints yeah I was I was on a mission and um, yeah and I, I saved my best game for the coach that sacked me nine months earlier did well. you ever I did you ever so you, you play the Supercats I think in the last game of the season so this was around nine months after as you say they sacked you so you play with a chip on your shoulder at the best of times now you're coming up against the side that sacked you you've got 30 at half time now there's some dispute over the final tally that sits officially at 49 <laughs> but I know you're about to tell me it's 50 there was some dispute over legitimacy of a late three I reckon to get the half century wasn't there it was. We only had two referees in those days, Eddie Crouch and I uh, forget the other ref. And um, yeah, my last shot I had, I was on 47 points. And the last shot I had, I, now, hang on. I up-faked. And, you, you, uh, wanted yeah. the, you wanted the 50 that badly, didn't oh, you? Oh, yes, I was aware. Yeah, the commentator yeah. was saying he's got 47 <laughs> points. So, of course, yeah, everyone, including, I think Vince Hinchin was actually guarding me. And he wasn't going to let me have it. So I I, I I had to do a shot fake. And uh, and I was sort of leaned in and I sort of leant off one foot. But I was, I was this far behind. <laughs> I was about a foot behind behind the, the three-point line when I released it and it went in and Eddie Crouch called it as a two the other ref called it as a three and then they went to the score bench and they said what did you guys think and they said we don't know and because Eddie Crouch was the lead referee the senior referee they went with his call that it was a two so I ended up with only seven threes that game instead of eight and that that eighth one was um, yeah they're pretty important so so I still say I, I say I had 50 yeah. I've got the evidence it's, I've got the old DVD from the game so um, yeah I've, uh, I've been meaning to sort of file that into the NBL just to get them to change of record books because uh, not many uh, Australian-born players have 
have scored 50. I think there's only a handful. So it's, uh, but no, but for me, it was, um, yeah, it was a bit of, um, I I definitely belonged in the NBL, but to do that against the team that had sacked me. But I I didn't really play the political game that well, though. I I was letting Barnsley know all about it. Oh, Um, (laughs) during the game. And I was, yeah, and I was pointing to him and pointing to guys on his bench saying, you kept him, you kept him. (laughs) So I was really, you know, look, I was 20, like I said, I was on a mission. I was playing with a chip on my shoulder. So I was, you know, and I'd just been in the all-star team as well and, and, and barry barry was actually the coach of the east all-star team oh, which no. I'd, I'd made no just not, not the east the south sorry it was north and south back in those days so i was in the south team and that was about a month or so earlier that was a bit hard for barry to to sort of accept that uh, here i was representing the saint in the all-star game and he'd sacked the year before so that was a bit uncomfortable then we had this game you know a month or so later where i was really hopping into him letting him know you know that he perhaps had erred on getting rid of me but i didn't play the political game sam so the there was trials coming up for the 92 Barcelona Olympics. Oh, the boomers. And, and he's the assistant coach. And yeah. So, and I was in the squad. Like he, he kind of had, like I had one of those years where he just had to put me in the squad. So I went up to the Institute of Sport and uh, was training with Barry's <laughs> the head coach. And here I was after just giving him an almighty spray on an NBL court. So yeah, that was a little bit uncomfortable. Fair to say, I probably didn't have much of a chance of making that team. <laughs> there was a guy called Andrew Gaze. Uh, the, gu- the guard spots are pretty strong. Who else? was there we had uh we had Leroy, Leroy Loggins. he'd been naturalized which was piss poor timing from Leroy it was very poor timing mate for me in particular because those two you know the tall sort of two or three man so I had to beat either Andrew Gaze or Leroy Loggins to make that team so look Sam I was never going to make that team mate. but even if I did have a shot I don't, I don't know how Barnsley would have gone <laughs> putting in a guy into his Olympic team you know less than 12 months after he actually sacked him from his local you know NBL team so yeah. uh, but it was that was a great experience I spent look at nearly two weeks up there and that was in preparation for the 92 games as I said which was playing against the dream team yeah, you know, that was the, dream uh, team. the original dream team so that was a great experience um, for all those fellas that, uh, that went along uh, to that uh, but there, there was a, an instance during that training and my heart skipped a beat Andrew Gaze went up for a late and these trainings were really competitive we had Dean Utoff and Luke Longley yeah. and Brad Key and Flahoff and all these big bodies and, and Gaze smashed to the floor and like he, he went down so hard and I'm thinking my heart I just thought shit if he breaks his leg i'm in right and it's one of those things where you want him to be okay because he's you know he's andrew gaze but not too okay really. but then you think well look you know and then in hindsight <laughs> the guy went to five olympics i mean he could have <laughs> greedy he could have sacrificed one for me but yeah he, he he was okay and and i actually thought afterwards i thought you know what they'd probably still take andrew gaze on one leg rather than me <laughs> i think he's probably better he's probably better than me on one leg but uh but that was one time that's the one time where i i thought i thought geez i might i might have a chance here but it was only because the great man uh, uh, the great man went down pretty hard and uh, yeah but uh, he was pretty durable old Drewy he, um, or Gazy now he's, he's known as Gazy we used to call him Drewy back in the day we're talking to Andrew Parkinson on this is your journey it's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives alright the South East Melbourne Magic Brian Gorgian and the Championships they're up next you're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, the family-owned business, of course, since 1934. And former NBL shooting guard Andrew Parkinson has been our guest today. So, Andrew, that, that season at the Saints, and obviously the impression you would have made at the Boomers scrimmages as well, and we didn't talk about it, but I think you went as far as the final cut in that squad when they went from 15 to 12, you're in that cut. So how much do you think that season, that that tryout and all those sessions helped when it came, obviously, to the highly publicised merger between the Saints and the Spectres to form the South East Melbourne Magic under Brian Gorgian? Oh, it saved me. It was perfect timing. Um, yeah, to get in there because when the merge happened with the Spectres and the Saints, uh, they really only took uh, two players. Well, they took myself and Andre Lamanis, and of course, yeah. as we know, Andre's <laughs> Andre kicked on and um, <laughs> you know under the tutelage of Brian Gorgian and uh, had a wonderful, or still having a wonderful uh, coaching career. Uh, so it was really only uh, Dre and myself, you know, from the Saints side of things. Uh, but it was basically all Spectres coaches and, um, you know, all Spectres players. And and they'd recruited, a, you know, a couple of extras as well. So it mm. was, um, yeah, luckily for me, yeah, luckily for me, I had that really good year. And, and Brian Gorgian, who'd previously looked at me before and, and had sort of said, oh, no, thanks, you know, which is fair enough. I wasn't ready. Uh, but, yeah, he, he was ready. And, and the, f- the funny story, if I can digress, a little bit Sam uh, I love telling the story or Brian loves telling the story but he and Bruce Palmer came to that game we spoke about earlier where I had the 49 50 whatever you want to <laughs> call, call it what it is call it what it is 50 and um, and he sat in the bar there at the glass house it was at the glass house and he sat in the bar with Bruce Palmer and and they and he, and, and Brian knew the merge was happening and he said to his good mate Bruce Palmer hey let's go and watch this kid Parky uh, he's playing for the Saints and let's do a shot for every field goal so that game, I was 21 from 35 from the field. <laughs> so Brian tells the story a lot better than me because he's a far better storyteller than anyone I've ever known. But uh, he tells the story. But he said he had to get carried out of that place. <laughs> and so, so I made a I made an impression on him. Um, he already had me pegged, you know, for the merge. He knew it was coming. And uh, yeah, so that game was sort of timely as well for that reason um and <laughs> me and bruce palmer love love telling that story that that they were absolutely wasted after that go <laughs> digress anytime you want brian brings you to the tent then parky you win that championship in 92 in year one under a new banner i mean you lost game one and then you won the next two to clinch it 2-1 over the tigers i mean how special this is this the highlight of the career i mean i know you won a, a one later on but to always win the first one has to be special oh it was yeah no that first championship was special and uh, particularly with with my personal journey um, you know, it was less than two years that we, when we won that championship, and, and I hit some big free throws uh, down the stretch in that game three, and I think I think I may have even scored the last point in that grand final. So that was a big change from the year before. I, I'd, I'd scored the last point in the, you know, in the regular season game against my old team, but there were no playoffs, and I'd never played in the playoffs in NBL in those two years with Geelong. Um, so yeah, to not only get my first. Uh, crack at NBL playoffs but to go all the way to game three against the Tigers in Melbourne capacity crowd at Rod Laver Arena yeah. um, against Andrew Gaze Leonard Copeland Brad Key Giddy you know that that 
that was a, that was the pinnacle. So I really felt, um, you know, I felt like I belonged in the NBL as a player. But I think that year I, I sort of became a, a winner as far as I accepted a lesser role. I wasn't starting for the Magic. I was six man, came off the bench. I uh, took me a while to accept that role, but uh, not too long actually, maybe a few one, few months. Uh, but once Brian got me accepting that role, yep. um, I just ran with it, and um, I never left. I never left Brian. Never left the Magic. Uh, I played the rest of my career with great, that team. Yeah, great scenes. And I mean, the NBL, thankfully, is rocking now, but it was absolutely rocking. It was a golden era for the league uh, in this country at that point in time. So you get the Tigers again, 2-1 in 96. Again, I think they got you in the opener, game one, and then again, you brought them to heel in the next uh, two games. And the rivalry with the Tigers, I mean, you, you, was there was a feeling at the time, I reckon, that you each had to go through each other, really, in those times to win the championship. They knew it of you, and you knew it of them. Oh, yeah. No, you had to go through Rod Laver Arena to win anything uh, back in those days. Uh, it was the Giants that um, won in 94. Uh, the Tigers won in 93. So, you know, they took their loss in the 92 series yeah. uh, and then they followed it up with, uh, that was Andrew Gaze and Lindsay's first championship in the 93. Yeah, so it was, uh, no, it was a, it was a great, a really great era uh, to play. Like I said, we were playing in front of Pasadena crowds at, uh, yeah, at, at Rod Laver and, and those series against the Tigers. I mean, you mentioned the rivalry. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, it was real. Uh, yeah, it was real for sure. It, um, yeah, there was general, uh, genuine hatred. Uh, I, I still believe there was an element of respect in there. but uh, And we used to play up a little bit, you know, as you do uh, with the media. We'd play up a few things. Uh, and we, I had my little thing with Ray Gordon. We had that uh, yeah. that little thing going on with us, which was sort of part of that rivalry as well. So, it's, um, no, it was a really, yeah, it was a really great time for uh, basketball in the 90s. I've got to say, Puggy, you look well. I mean, what, what's your what's your quality of life like at the moment, just in your, your day-to-day living with everything you're, you're dealing with? Well, mornings I'm a lot better, mate. You've got me at a good time. Right. Um, yeah, I've got to, uh, yeah, I normally take uh, some pretty serious meds around this time. So it's, uh, yeah, no, I'm struggling a bit. I, I, as I said earlier, I'm into this immunotherapy and it's it's sort of, a, it's a bit of an accumulative build-up. So lots of things um, have changed. Yeah, lots of things have changed. But uh, but no, thanks for, uh, I, yeah, thanks for saying I look good. I, I, uh, I have, um, yeah, I, I am on to a lot of naturopath yeah I went to a naturopath and it takes lots of uh, lots of supplements and I, I do sort of watch my diet and I sort of yeah. regularly exercise and 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 sort of uh, and I think that's important uh, it's important for my kids to see their dad still having a crack um, you know I still uh, still playing basketball uh, actually I had my first game in a while I had some surgery back in May and I hadn't played for a while so I had my first game last night which still was playing. which was great that's awesome. an experience yeah it was yeah down in A grade on a Monday night and um, yeah I chipped in with 14 points and uh, hadn't played for a while, so uh, hadn't played since my recent surgery. So yeah, so I think it's it's just good to um, yeah do as much as you can. But uh, but yeah, look, I look, I do struggle at times, Sam. Like I do have bad days and good days. Um, but I think it's important to um, yeah, it's important to push through sometimes. And I mean, every time I push through and, and do something out of my comfort zone, whether it's playing a game of basketball, going on a bike ride with my mates, you know, or, or, or going on a big 10k, 15k walk, or w- whatever it may be. Afterwards, I always feel better mentally, uh, physically. Yeah, I might be a bit run down and tired. Uh, you know, I feel run down and tired anyway. So <laughs> I might as well get some use yeah. out of it. No, that's great. And I was a bit struck by what you said earlier about, you know, I guess, reconnecting with people and even, you know, telling your mates you love them more often and vice versa, which is great. And I know you reference this guy, and a lot of listeners will know him, the late ESPN anchor, Stuart Scott, who, and I know, you, as I say, you live by this. He once said, if you die, it doesn't matter or it doesn't mean that you lose to cancer. You beat cancer by how you live while you live. 
and the manner in which you live with cancer, which is oh, that is such a powerful statement. Oh yeah, I I got hold of that early in my battle with cancer, and, and um, yeah, I get emotional when I think about it. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, he yeah, that's you know a lot of people, and, and a lot of people, you know, when you have can- you diagnosed with cancer, a lot of people, oh, Parker, you'll beat it, you know, you'll beat it, sort of thing, and uh, and they, they only mean the best, and that's that's a great thing for people to tell you. But my cancer sort of one that's probably uh, it's it's a bit unbeatable uh in saying that not that i'm conceding anything I'm, i i plan on living for you know I'm, i plan on hacking through life as long as long as i can yeah but i think uh that's an important thing it's it, yeah you don't lose just because you you know many people have battled you know this terrible disease and just because they've passed away doesn't doesn't mean they've lost the fight it, you know it's the, it's the way they fought while they were alive and i think so many people can, that resonates with so many people that have had, you know, family or friends that have that have battled cancer, and I think that yeah, Stuart Scott, and of course being he's a similar age to me as well, and of course watching, you know, Sports Center and listening to his booyahs and yeah. all his yeah. commentary, I think uh, that was one thing that, um, yeah, to hear that knowing knowing that he's now passed away, but you know, he he left that legacy for his family and his children, and uh, yeah, that, that's just something that I've been very weary of is holding my head up high um yeah and the way the way that you 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 handle you know the, the battle and you know one day i'm going to die everyone's going to die <laughs> you know what, yeah one day i'm going to die and you know i'm hoping it's going to be as as late as late as possible but um but you know i'm going to live my life in the way that stuart scott lived his and and that's um yeah to the fullest and and embracing everyone telling people you love them and and just yeah just uh being embraced um yeah by as many people as you can and, and as i said earlier you know a lot of people have told me things about me uh, that they wouldn't tell you if if they didn't know you had a terminal illness and uh, you know you might you know you might be eulogized at your funeral but you know you, you're mm. not actually hearing that so you know I, I, I try and take the positives out of anything and and, and one thing I will say that I really do feel more connected with you know all my ex-teammates and all, all my ex-adversaries too I mean the Melbourne Tigers Andrew Gays and the Melbourne Tigers in particular and, and you know was it Giddy Josh Giddy you know the amount of support they've given me not not just financially but um, um, morally um, and just with events and just just with kind words and things like that it has been amazing and uh, I, I mean just as an example one that sticks in my mind is Brian Gorgian who you know we last won a championship over a quarter of a century ago you know we're talking about 1996 uh, in Brian's biggest coaching moment of his career well, well I was involved in his, his first biggest moment which was that 92 championship but if we fast forward about um, 30 years uh, 29 30 years his biggest moment was winning a gold uh, winning a bronze medal for the Australian boomers and of course I was following that and I was recovering from major surgery and uh, I was in a bit of a bad way and, and Brian uh, took the time out uh, on the, on that particular day just to send me a text uh, just to let him know that you know the, the boys are going to be fighting like I am you know in that game against uh, Lucas uh, Slovenia, Slovenia wasn't it yeah against Slovenia so uh, for me to get a text from from Brian Gorge and my coach we've still can be in contact but for him to be thinking of me in the greatest moment of his sporting you know his coaching career uh, that really gave me a lift and there's been many examples of uh, of ex-teammates um you know ex ex players i used to play against adversaries as i'd, I'd call them uh that you know reach out and give me kind words and you know uh, and, and that's it's it's just been uh, an amazing help it's it's a lot easier to uh live your life you know fall on and, and tackle these things when you when you've got um the support that i have andrew uh, thanks so much for joining us today i mean obviously i speak for everyone and anyone listening uh in today when i, I wish you well for whatever comes next i mean there's so many fond memories of a great great bloody good 
good career on the court, but no doubt the way you carry yourself in what must be extraordinarily difficult times with dignity, courage is just so admirable, mate. So we tip our lids to your parking and we really appreciate you uh, sharing your journey with us today. Well, I appreciate your kind words, Sam, and uh, keep up the good work, mate, and I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh... Yeah, talking about myself is one of my favourite subjects. <laughs> Andrew <So>. Parkinson. <laughs> uh, I love the sense of humour, mate. Thanks for joining us also out there. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.